Hi there. Welcome to the Lobbying Huddle, the podcast about next-gen public affairs management. This podcast is for practitioners of government, corporate and regulatory affairs, and for students, academia and journalists. It's about all things public affairs management and lobbying, how-tos, top tips, reviews and interviews with peers and decision makers and much more. I believe lobbying should be transparent and ethical. Listening to this podcast, you'll hopefully learn and laugh in equal measure. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm going to give you my top 10 tips, best practices on how to lobby. My name is Tim Workhoven and I'm fascinated by public affairs management, or you can call it lobbying. I want to help you and other interest groups to improve the influencing of public authorities and other stakeholders on what they plan to do or not to do. Specifically, I want to explore if and how new techniques, digital techniques and data developments can help public affairs managers with doing their influencing. And specifically, I want to apply this to the European Union and to the United Kingdom. I believe lobbying should be done ethically and professionally. This will improve ultimately democracy and sound policy making. The main sources of knowledge I draw from are from political science, management science, data science, and from field experts, lobbyists and public authorities. I know a bit about some of these fields and have master degrees in political and business science. I also have practical experience having lobbied uh, for many different stakeholders, both in the UK and in the EU. But what is really exciting to explore is how technological developments will impact the lobby profession in the future. So I hope you're willing to join me on this journey. If you are, like this podcast or connect with me via LinkedIn so we can continue the conversation. All right, let's dive in. So as this is my first podcast, I want to start with an easy listen, with a top 10 list. 10 tips for how to lobby better. Tip number one, create internal consensus first before you go out lobbying. Yeah, this is one of the most important tips, I think. Um, You have to create internal consensus within your own organization before you can go out and lobby on them. There's too many companies that create huge problems for themselves um, and even spun off whole business units because they can't agree internally about the topics they're lobbying on and they disagree. So you have to, as a lobbyist, you have to interview, you have to speak with the different business units, you have to speak with other people within the company on what they believe is important. If you work in a trade organization, then maybe send out some surveys to your members and see and see what they think. I know from my own experience, coming back from having lobbied in Brussels, coming back to headquarters, I I sometimes discovered that what I was saying publicly in Brussels was actually not the internal position. And that always made me feel very uncomfortable. So I've learned my lessons there and I always try to get consensus before I go out uh, lobbying. So that was tip number one. Let's go to tip number two, do your homework. That sounds easy, uh, but it is very necessary. 
amateur lobbyists start influencing decision makers right away. So without any information or building intelligence. And they actually should do a lot of analysis, you know, know what kind of dossiers uh, uh, are out there, know what the status is, what the regulatory status is, uh, what the stakeholders are, what the issues are, in order to create that chance to build coalitions and win, which we'll talk about later on. So you have to read position papers, you have to create lists, you have to talk to your internal stakeholders, which we which we talked about, uh, which was tip number one. Um, so if you're a company, for example, making widgets, you want to look at the external dossiers, regulations that are being debated. I know at EU level, the European Parliament has created a very good tool that helps you place dossiers in, in the regulatory process. It's called the... Uh, the legislative train schedule and i'll put the link in the in the show notes so you can you can look it up it's actually quite good just type in your dossier which you're working on and then you know if it has left the station uh when it's expected to arrive that means when it's expected to be uh, agreed on and there's loads of other links and information to the the, the draft regulation and consultations and and everything else so that's really that's really handy it's hard work, uh, this one, do your homework. Uh, so a lot of desk work and it takes you uh, a long time. It, this is probably, this takes you the most time of, of, let's say all the time that you spend on, on lobbying. So take good care of this one. Let's look at tip number three, build intelligence. Intelligence is the process from gathering information the homework that you did in tip number two to actually make some meaning out of this because you're collecting a lot of information some information is useful other information is less useful so you have to synthesize you have to build some intelligence out of that and intelligence is important uh, more important than having a big budget so you don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to have a brain uh, and, and uh, think about all the stuff that you've researched. So what you need uh, is how to develop smart government affairs and, and how to efficiently implement it. So transforming information into intelligence is combining all that knowledge and making sense of it. Where are things heading? Where is the wind blowing from? So you want to start thinking about uh, your active, let's say, external engagement. And you don't want to do that with too much headwind. So what I've noticed is having lobbied on, for example, the, the, the European Data Protection Regulation or payment services, you know that that is coming. You know from following the news and from talking to stakeholders and from, from reading uh EU Commission uh, papers, green papers, white papers, where the wind is blowing from, what's what's going on. There's going to be a very big change in data regulation and uh, new regulations are coming in. So then you have to internalize that. And for example, when I was at working at Tesco, we saw it coming and we said, OK, we're not going to fight this. We're not going to we're not going to blow against the wind. We're going to look at our customers and see how we can uh, help them uh, and protect their data better. And then, um, you know, you 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 uh, you work like that. So 
that is tip number three build that intelligence and you, you have to talk to colleagues again you have to talk uh, you have to think things through and uh, it, it sets you up for a good course of action later on so let's let's look at tip number four now build coalitions yes so now we're actually starting to engage and whilst you're engaging you don't want to do that alone you are most of the time even if you work at a big company or a big trade association you are a small fish in a big sea and there's loads of competing interests from all over the place so you have to build coalitions um, there's a much bigger chance of winning when you have coalitions and when you operate in coalitions than you would have uh, doing it alone so when you've done your homework you know which groups are out there you can figure out which stakeholders are friendly are let's say having the same position as you and which aren't so then you can you can you can approach those and start to agree on uh, or aligning those positions and, dis and discovering uh, what to do together so for example the health groups or environmental groups in uh, both in the UK and the EU they they, they often they they work together uh, on 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 these issues I myself have always built coalitions as well uh, it you know you divide work so you can um, uh, you can divide uh, resources and that's that's really uh, really good because it saves you a bit of time and also you amplify the message because you're you're going to stakeholders and you're saying the same thing as your coalition partners saying to other stakeholders so it's it's like a virtuous circle so that was tip number four building coalitions let's go to tip number five tip number five is have something to offer now as we all know the currency in public affairs arenas is not cash it is information that's what you change uh, exchange that's what you trade so you have to get into the mind of the decision maker and understand what their needs are because if you know that then you will create opportunities to engage and to influence you can give them that information in return for something else so you have to fall back again on your homework you need to do that well if you've done that well then you've probably found some really nice nuggets about stakeholders in need of specific information for example you may have found that a policymaker in department xyz said that they don't have sufficient data about the positive impact of widgets on the environment and you working for a widget company you you have the ability to collect that quite quickly so then you can meet up with that uh, policymaker or that government official and you can provide that, which is great. So I've worked in financial services and uh, we had a very large client base and we asked our customers what kind of obstacles there were of a certain payment, uh, payment obstacles payment in payment services many customers were responding to us so we had a bit a good view of consumers and customers what they what their thoughts were about certain obstacles in in payment services and then we went to the regulator and provided them with that information and that helped them determine uh, the policy on on that specific topic so that was a very big win for us so that was tip number five having something to offer now, tip number six, don't lobby on issues alone. 
actually this is also a very important one um and i'll maybe do a, spe- a special podcast about this because it's a, it's a very big topic but basically it comes down to um, not lobbying on issues alone but also on positions and procedures so what we talked about before is lobbying on issues you know you're in favor or against something or you try to convince a stakeholder or a, a regulator that that they need to change their mind on something which is lobbying on issues but parallel to that or maybe in advance of lobbying on issues you have to think about lobbying on positions and procedures well what do i what do i mean by that let's first look at positions what you want to do is you want to place yourself into the correct working groups or boards or advisory committees or expert groups so you want to try to join those because they are set up by the government or the government listens to those uh, on specific uh, topics. So if you are at that table, then you are able to advance your issues there. Um, and and that is, that's a really good thing. So try to, try to fight for those positions. If not yourself, say, say for example, you're not able to uh, apply for, for that yourself because you don't have the right qualifications or because uh, some other reason, then at any rate, try that your other friends or acquaintances uh, or uh, uh, people that you know and, and, and have similar, uh, similar positions, like look at your, your coalitions and see if people from your coalition group can... can um, can join those those groups for example the fca board if you're lobbying in financial services then uh, you can try to see when a place uh, is open on the fca board uh, to to get on there or to try to parachute someone else on there which uh, who is your friend at the european level it is actually very institutionalized look at the european commission Uh, they are forming loads of expert groups around certain topics and issues and they invite stakeholders, um, technical experts, uh, to join those groups to help them formulate policy. So always look look out for for those opportunities to uh, to lobby on uh, on positions. I myself have been a member of uh, of an expert group, uh, a European Commission expert group on retail innovation, and we wrote a report on retail innovation, and the Commission took that over, and uh, it it helped them determine. Uh, uh, policy on uh, on retail so that was that was very useful lobbying on procedures is a whole different uh, different thing but really really important now I've no I've mentioned earlier about legislative procedures and as you know uh, in the UK and in the EU and in every uh, every member state uh, the government has a certain way of proceeding uh, with regulatory uh, dossiers and there are very different uh, uh, regulatory dossiers uh, procedures uh, that are possible for example at a european level you've got the uh, the cod the the ordinary decision making procedure there's also an assent procedure and there's there are other procedures and it depends uh, which dossier what what the, the the content of the dossier is which regulatory uh, rail is going to choose and some rails may be more beneficial to you than other rails so you have to really think about what is the government procedure for this dossier 
And if you see that it is not going to be in favor of you, then you have to try to put it on a different rail track. For example, what the, the health lobby uh, very well did in the 1990s and, and the 2000s was the tobacco uh, dossiers. First of all, it was uh, mostly managed by you know, the, the departments of business or the uh, in other countries, uh, the Department of Economic Affairs. What the health lobby did was move the issue to have as owner the departments of health. Uh, the uh, DG Sanko at the European uh, uh, at the European level, so that changed the procedures uh, significantly, and that put the the, the, the health lobby in a, in a much better position to influence uh, the, these dossiers and and let's say keep the tobacco companies out out of the room. So that was very smart of them. So lobbying on positions and procedures is very important. Now let's look at tip number seven. Use social media. It's not my specialty, social media, but you know, uh, and you know as well as I know, that is very important to have a good brand, a good, um, yeah, a good reputation online uh, by using social media smartly, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or uh, or other social media, and you want to know where your um, policymakers are where your stakeholders are so you can first of all you can follow them and you can see what they are saying uh, online so that means that it gives you information and insights about their positions uh, and and their next moves and uh, their plans and so forth so that's a bit more the passive use of social media but actively uh, you can also communicate your positions you can create communities online and even uh, and I had that sometimes when you create communities then sometimes uh, uh, policymakers or influencers will follow you and they will join your discussion which is great so you have you you've just created a new channel of influencing via social media so think about that uh, if you're comfortable uh, doing that tip number eight start your influencing in many places yes if you are a lobbyist or a public affairs manager responsible for UK policy, your instinct will be to go to Westminster. And that's fair enough, because the decision makers and the ultimate decision makers may be there. But sometimes you have to think that the origin of certain issues and certain dossiers don't uh, they don't have their origin in Westminster or in the the, the Westminster bubble. Uh, so it sometimes is good to think a bit outside of the box geographically and look at well maybe um, uh, on this particular dossier Holyrood and, and the, the Scottish government or Scottish stakeholders have a, a big influence on this uh, on this topic so I must go there and I have to visit uh, members of Scottish Parliament or Scottish stakeholders and the same goes for Stormont or uh, the Senate in Wales. At EU level, it is, it is also very clear that um, many of the dossiers don't start in Brussels. They start in the national capitals. So it's good to go to Berlin, uh, go to Paris and go to The Hague and go to Madrid. Oh, that's nice, uh, nice travels as well. And once you're there, you start engaging with uh, or you start creating the issues that later on will arrive in Brussels. But they have their origin in, in national capitals. I've did that many times. 
I'm Dutch, so I, I usually go to the Netherlands a lot. Uh, to the Hague um, and I've done that on health issues and others and then you will see that government officials that you've spoken to they will pass on the message from their um, from their national desks uh, up to uh, up to uh, Brussels and European desks and the same happens uh, in uh, in the UK from Holyrood and Stormont all the way to uh, to Westminster so that's tip number eight start your influencing in many places tip number nine involve your colleagues yes this is a really cool one um, because it, i know as a public affairs manager it, it's sometimes a very lonely job and you are alone you are the public affairs department within your company uh, a team of one or you have very small teams so you have to you have to reach out to your other departments to the management team to other business units and if you involve your colleagues then you get well uh, more well known within the company uh, people know what you're doing people know what kind of added value you you provide to to the organization and if you involve them in your lobbying for example taking your colleagues along to your 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 stakeholder meetings uh, in Westminster or anywhere else that looks good um, for you because uh, politicians and uh, government officials they also like to see that they know that you as the public affairs manager are not the expert you're not a technical expert on the dossier uh, you are uh, you're just the, the let's say the, yeah, the public affairs manager who is passing on the messages the technical knowledge lies with uh, other departments so when you're making widgets uh, you know you want to have you know maybe there's a, a technical department or a chemical department uh, that knows all about the chemical composition of widgets and uh, you're lobbying on a chemical issue so then you want to take those people in the white coats with you to to meet with uh, with regulators uh, to you know deliver the, the 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 messages that you want to deliver i've seen it myself it really impresses regulators uh, and decision makers if you do that because you've been going out of your way to really make sure that policymakers get the best information from the experts so it's really good i did it myself uh, on supply chain i i, I actually inv invited supply chain partners not, not my colleagues uh, my my internal colleagues but people uh, and, and in organizations that were in our supply chain, I've brought them to Brussels and uh, we talked about um, green supply chain management. Uh, I, I brought a tomato grower in. So we had uh, pallets of tomatoes, crates of tomatoes uh, distributed and passed out uh, within the European Parliament. And everybody loved it. So involve your colleagues, really important point. And the last one is be culturally aware. Tip number 10, be culturally aware. Cultural diversity, it's a great thing. And in public affairs, you're going to meet stakeholders or you are meeting stakeholders and decision makers from all walks of life with all different backgrounds, different routes, different places. And everybody responds differently. That's just a psychological, uh, a cultural fact, uh, especially at a European level where you sit around the table with 27 different nationalities. So you always have to be very culturally aware. 
um, and language and uh, nonverbal communication is, is, is very important. So appreciate that and approach stakeholders accordingly with, with respect and with, uh, with the knowledge about how they, how they respond and where, and where they're coming from. And it will definitely avoid, uh, you know, a lot of embarrassing uh, situations. Um, I've got a lot of examples. I probably will do a separate podcast about this because I can fill hours and hours on that. So that was tip number 10. So there you have it. My 10 top tips to help you improve your lobbying. In the next podcast, we're going to talk about the skills and capabilities that would come in handy for being a good lobbyist. In the meantime, reach out to me via LinkedIn if you want to continue the conversation. And I'll speak to you in the next podcast. Thanks.